turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 7, one, one chapter at a time. I haven't, we haven't bled over into another chapter for one message. It's, it's gone well one chapter at a time. And so we, we titled the last message, uh, you know, a big day. There was a big day for, for the king, for Queen Esther, and for Haman in different ways. And, and I guess I could have titled the, the Big Day Part 2 because this day's still going on and it's winding down. But, but we're going to look at a table for three tonight. A table for three. And, and we know who the three are. Again, it's Queen Esther who, who called for the banquet and, and the specific, specific invitation was to King Ahasuerus and also to Haman, his right-hand man, if you will. So it's a table for three. And you might remember that it's for the second time now because she already called for a banquet. And, and at the banquet, her request was that they come to another banquet the next night and then she will give her request. So it's a table for three. The second time... But there's one out of the three that will never join them again. And, and yes, that, that is Haman. We already revealed what's coming for Haman last week, and we're going to, to see it tonight. And, and so even as we think about everything we've shared, even up to this very point at the banquet in the three getting started, the king does not know the nationality of Esther, and neither does Haman. They, they, they do not know at this moment that she is a Jew. Haman, they know Mordecai is a Jew, and, and wow, the, the big day for Haman that he had, and he thought he was going to hang Mordecai. It ends up that by his own plans and his own design of things, Mordecai would be honored and praised by the people. And, and Haman came up with how it was to be. He would be on the king's horse with the king's robe. And Mordecai led, I mean Haman led Mordecai through town and ordered the people to praise him. Haman was going to ask to be able to hang Mordecai, the providence of God, all through this. And so it comes the evening time, and it's time for this banquet that has been called for. And so Haman, you know, he, he has positive and negative things going on, I guess. He's dragging his feet in a way to this banquet. He had been excited about it, but there's a bump in the road for Haman now. See, he hates Mordecai, and he has found out that the king just loves Mordecai, wanted him honored throughout the city. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know that, that Mordecai saved the king's life. But there's a bump in the road here. So he's going to this banquet, and, and he's exasperated and frustrated with all the daily events with Mordecai. Now he's going to meet with the king and the queen, knowing how the king feels about Mordecai now. So he's kind of dragging his feet, 
But I tell you what, if he knew that Esther was a Jew on the way to that banquet, he would either run for the hills or he would show up on his knees and elbows, sliding, groveling forward to them, begging for mercy. But he doesn't know this yet. Haman, though, he is well aware of his own evil deeds and his wicked agenda. I mean, he has been warned through circumstances. I mean, anybody can look at the signs of things going on and be warned through circumstances. God warns through circumstances. But also, his very own wife warned him of what was coming. But Haman, it's not his cup of tea to follow instructions. He's not about instructions at all. Taking good advice, Haman doesn't want it. He's, he's not that guy. We see his character throughout this book. Heeding warnings, that's not Haman. And he won't do it. He, he just keeps moving forward for any glimpse of a chance he can to, to work his agenda in some way. So, so though there's a bump in the road with the king concerning this banquet that's taking place, he's still invited to the banquet. It is only three. It's the king, it's the queen, and it's Haman. So he can, so there's a hope there that, well, it's been a bad day, things didn't go well, but but I'm the one invited to this banquet, so I'm going to go and keep trying to manipulate my way to the top. And, and so he still can put forward an agenda, and, and maybe, maybe if I manipulate my way to the top, I can get over on Mordecai. He's always thinking this way. And, and, and another thing, he still thinks he's safe. The bad thing that's happened for Mordecai right now is the reversal on him. Uh, uh, I mean, the bad thing for Haman right now is the reversal on him about Mordecai. And, he, and he's not able to hang Mordecai. Instead, he had to praise him. But, I mean, he thinks he's safe. He doesn't know what's coming right now. And the reason why he is safe is because of the long-suffering of God. So many are in such a situation with a great opportunity because of the long-suffering of God. What people do many times with the long-suffering of God, though, they keep going about their wrong ways and, and forgetting about it. Fitting verse, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. God's long-suffering is not for people to continue along a worldly path, but to turn to God and to change their mind about sin and change their mind about the Savior and to be changed. But God's long-suffering is looked at as, see, God's not going to judge. There's a real popular saying, payday someday. 
and payday is coming. And nobody, no, people don't think that way. You ever find yourselves as children of God and, and you just think you care more about the well-being of someone else than they care about in their own lives? That, that hurts. You know, Paul says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. I mean, that's a suffering when, I mean, it tears us up. And it tears us up when you want to see good for someone. And, and you know the judgment of God that's coming. You know what's coming. And they won't receive the help. It's kind of like that rancher that was trying to get his cows in the pasture. They got out. And he got them all in but one. And, and there in the pasture, I mean, it was, it was safe. Their needs were met there. They would be protected. But out where this one stubborn cow was, I mean, it was dangerous. They weren't protected. Their needs aren't met out there. And that rancher's just crying over this cow, wanting him back in the pasture. And, and I tell you what, that's how it feels when we care for God's people or care for those who are lost that they might be saved. But pride is very destructive. And, and Haman just keeps staying outside the pasture because of his pride. And, and Haman's pride is leading him astray and it's going to destroy him. And so tonight, as we look at a table for three, we're going to see three things happen. The queen speaks up, the king walks out, and Haman goes down. Let's look chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and let's see the queen speak up. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of the wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not uh, countervail the king's damage. Well... The king had been waiting for 24 hours. He was pressed. He was heavy, uh, no doubt, about what is on his queen's heart that she needs to share. And, and so once they were gathered, it, it seems like the king just doesn't waste much time. And, and he gets right to the point and inquires about the matter uh, with the queen. And, you know, we can well imagine... Esther rehearsing her words. You know, this is a big deal for her. She's rehearsing her words and she's going over and over it. You know, you might think about some anxiety possible rising and her saying, I wonder if I can put them off one more night. 
Maybe the request will be that you meet me a third time at a third banquet. But that didn't happen, and, and God gave her strength. She needed strength because even though the king seems to be saying, hey, whatever you want, it's going to be given to you. Uh, you know, in verse 2 it says, and it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. You know, so, so even though she seems to have a, an open door to whatever you want, remember this is a fickle king. He is pretty unsteady. You know, he's Mr. Unpredictable. And so she's really risking her life here. Because who knows what the king will really do after she presents this situation. If after she speaks up, if the king rejects her plea, it's over for her. It's over for Mordecai. And it is over for all of the Jews in the land. And so God gave her the strength, though, to go forward now and to speak out. He definitely helped her with her words also. It, it was wise words from such a good angle that she made known to the king this situation. And, I mean, she let him know that she was seeking his favor for something. She is depending on him to show favor. She didn't want to please herself, is the way she uh, said this, but as though it would please the king. And, you know, there were a lot of things to disrespect about the king, but, but, she, but he was in a respecting position. You know, she, you don't look to the person uh, so much as the position many times. That will help many people on the job with the boss. It's not about the person. It's about the position as long as they don't ask you to sin, okay? So, so she respects the position. She also didn't just come right out and say, well, this man right here, he plans to kill all of the Jews, she didn't do that. She approached him from an angle that her life was at risk. She was depending on him to save her life. Her life was in danger and she needed the king to do something about it. And King Ahasuerus, he was moved by her. He was moved by his queen, just like the moment he selected her to be queen. And he doesn't like it that her life is in danger. She said things in, in just the right way, a, a, a way that, that no doubt God gave her. And, and not only is she in danger, and he doesn't like that, but her people are in danger. Now, the king has a lot to digest here and a lot to figure out and learn. She's in danger and her people are in danger. So what's the first thought? Is all of Persia in, in danger? You know, what are you saying? So he's perplexed and he's trying to process this. And, and you know, he's thinking it's all of the, the, the people who belong to the land. But she also mentions the decree to wipe out the Jewish nation that was in the land. 
And so the king is able to put two and two together now, and he is starting to figure out some things, and, and he's able to realize her Jewish nationality and the decree that's against the Jews. He didn't know it was against the Jews. Haman, when he came forward with this decree, he just said certain people groups. Certain people groups. And, and he did that on purpose. He did that by agenda because it wasn't right for him to want to take the Jews out like he did. So he said it that way. And now the king has some things on him because, because he has okay. He gave his ring to Haman so that he can go and, and uh, have it imprinted into the wax to, to, to seal something secure. And so he gave him the okay for this to happen. So the king has something on him just as well. You know, he has to realize right then and there, after he starts putting things together, wow, I agreed to this decree, and it means the murder of my queen and Mordecai. A little more about the queen, though. She's really helped her situation by saying she, she's, that she wouldn't be petty. She, she's not just wanting to complain. If, if they were sold into slavery, that would be bad. But she's saying she wouldn't even say anything about that. But they are being sold into death. And so that's why she's speaking up. And she's bravely and she's wisely speaking up for her people, which gave her the best hope possible for a response that would be in the favor of her, Mordecai, and the rest of the Jews. How, how, did, how, was, how was such a, such a strategic display in a good sense made here with words and the angle she came from, well, remember that she asked for prayer and she asked for fasting for three days. I tell you what, before job interviews, Christians are asking for prayer. Before, before big meetings that, that are going to be had in whatever way, there's a lot of prayer that goes on before those meetings because God is in things like this and God helps things like this. And so, and so here we have her in this situation which has put her and her people in the best light because she asked for prayer and fasting for three days. The Bible says, Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit all things to Him and will never go wrong. Let's not do it in our own ability. Let's not do it according to our own feelings, but to have the Lord govern and guide us. Esther has done this. And now let's look at the king's response after the queen speaks up. Verse 5, how does the king respond? Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid 
before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. The queen speaks up at the banquet, and the king walks out of the banquet. But imagine that fault, that guilt that must be upon the king with many other things. He had contributed to this horrible act by going along with the decree, by, by these general deceiving details in order to be able to kill the Jews. He, he just called them certain people. King, you have certain people in the land and they need to go. And so the king just... He doesn't check Haman out good enough. He doesn't check the details out good enough. He hands him his ring and lets him go make a permanent deal and, and seal it concerning getting this certain people out of the land. And then the two of them had cocktails together, if you remember. Right after a death sentence on, on so many. He let Haman make that contract, but he didn't know that it was part of a conspiracy. Nevertheless, he's responsible for it. I mean, we see the character of... I was talking to my wife earlier today, and, and we see the character of, of everyone throughout these events. And we see in the character of Haman that he couldn't so much as breathe or blink without having agenda attached to it. The king needed to be careful in every situation with Haman. Whatever Haman came up with to do, even if it sounded like a great idea, the king needed to beware. Whenever Haman was upset with something, the king needed to beware. When Haman was happy about something, I mean, he was up to something, so the king needed to beware. If he did something good for somebody, the king needed to beware because he was so agenda-oriented in a selfishness for something to come back to him in every way. And as I mention that, and consider how that is in the flesh of every one of us, how wonderful it is to be delivered from bondage by Jesus Christ. We have no chance without Jesus Christ to be delivered from this rotten flesh. We can't fight, but, but praise the Lord in Jesus Christ, we can be winning a fight. 
There is self-seeking bondage that Haman was strapped into and he did not have the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Pertaining to what's going on here and Haman's character, he didn't have the freedom to freely love someone without needing anything to come back. He didn't have the freedom to freely serve someone without looking to be served in return. That is being free in Jesus Christ when we can do that. But Haman wasn't free. His life was in the bondage of selfishness and self-agenda. The king, so he hears that the queen though, and the lives of her people need to be saved from death. And the king asked, what detestable person would do such a thing? He doesn't, he, you know, he's asking, he doesn't know who it is yet. And he's saying, who would do something like this? And when you think about him being a king and all his responsibilities, you might think about this king, you know, over this kingdom, asking this that's happened in his land for several reasons. First of all, he really cared for the queen, and he wanted to know who was putting her life in jeopardy. But also, I mean, he's the king, and some, something went wrong in the land. He needs somebody to blame. You know, a, a king was held to such a standard that he couldn't mess up. So the king always had a scapegoat. He always had someone that he could lay the blame on. I mean, it's ultimately his responsibility, but he can make it roll downhill a little bit to a scapegoat. You know, politicians have scapegoats today. There are many politicians who need a whole lot of scapegoats for the blame that comes down upon things that they do. But the king, no doubt, had one too. And he is anxious to know who this is and, and the details of it to see where blame goes because... You know, the king, he didn't get a lot of slack. He can't mess up was the, was the attitude then. And so there's a lot of things in the king's questions of who is he and where is he. It happened in his land where he was in charge, but he cared for the queen. And after the surprise of Queen Esther being Jewish, now is the surprise that this man that she's talking about who has, who has ordered that her life be taken and her people was the king's right-hand man. It was Haman sitting right there at the table. How, how, did, how did she say it? Where, where are we at? Verse 6. The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Says that in front of such an evil man right there at the table. And, and so the king has two surprises now. Haman has plotted this entire thing. And by the way, again, Haman is just now learning that Esther is a Jew, just as the king just now learned that Esther is a Jew as well. How did this start? Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Then Mordecai wouldn't stand up when Haman passed by. And his anger 
got a hold of him. When we let anger take us over, then we're out of control. And Haman gets out of control and he orders for not just Mordecai, but all of the Jews to be killed. You know, when we get angry, we get out of control, and we have no control over how far it goes. It went all the way to the queen having a death sentence on her head. And so what might the king think now? You know, he doesn't know the details of what Haman knows. He knows that he didn't know Esther wasn't a Jew, uh, was a Jew, but he doesn't know that Haman, you know, didn't know that. What could the king be thinking? Did Haman want my wife, my queen, to die? You know, he, he may have even uh, thought of his own life being at risk a while back. You remember in chapter 2 and verse 21, and, and what Mordecai heard, it said, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. They were looking to take his life. What could the king be thinking with all of trying to put all of this together? Did he want the queen killed? Was it Haman that was in charge of these two? And Haman wanted me killed? By the way, it's very possible. But he could be thinking this and probably is. And we have so much going on here. Let's consider the delay that's happening here. Remember the delay because the queen wanted to meet. And she says, I'll, I'll prepare a banquet and you come to the banquet. And then she says, well, come to the next banquet tomorrow. Why is this delay going on? It's not just within the mind of Queen Esther the providence of God is at work. And remember what we talked about ahead of time. Let's look back on it now. Before this final banquet took place, where she did reveal what was going on, the king couldn't sleep. And he was up reading the minutes. We love to read the minutes, right? He Read me the minutes from five years ago. And in the recording was Mordecai saving his life. If a Jew saved the king's life, that's going to interrupt the king's thoughts on the idea of executing the Jews. The king is furious over this situation and he does something good. He steps outside. It's too much. The king has to, to step away. And he steps outside and he sorts all of this out in his mind, gets some fresh air. You know, we've learned about the king's temper already, but now he's like a volcano ready to erupt. Haman knows it. He sees what's happening here. The king is upset because Haman has gotten over on him. This is making the king look like a fool. You know, this is coming down on Haman, but look how foolish the king looks. 
for what has take place, taken place. It reveals the king's shortcomings. He should have been more thorough and he should have done more fact-checking. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. It's wise to be thorough. So the king's shortcomings, though, he wasn't thorough, and his shortcomings have endangered the lives of two very special people to him, Mordecai and Esther. So he did some pacing in the garden. You ever been there? Ever done that? Needed to blow off some steam or something is just rising in you and, and it's out of good care and it's out of something good but it's something bad going on and you just pace. That, that's what I do sometimes. I just pace. So, so I imagine the king pacing in the garden over something like this, trying to make a proper decision in the midst of his temptation to be angry and make a decision in anger. You might, well, anyway, Haman knew the direction things were headed in. He, he knew what he was looking at now. And he is the one who has become very afraid. He made every Jew throughout the 127 provinces afraid. Now he is the one who is afraid. He knew that the king had the right and the authority to be judge and jury over him. So, what's his... I mean, but he's quick. He's a good schemer. I mean, if anybody can wiggle out of something, which is, which is not a good quality, but if anybody can wiggle out of something, Haman can. And so, he's trying anyway. And so, what does he do? He knows he's done with the, the king, so he goes to the queen. And he begs for mercy from the queen. The problem is, his way of life and his constant actions have already told the story on his life. He is what he is. And he wasn't sincere about wanting mercy. He, he selfishly just wanted to skate through the train wreck that he had in the moment. And he was looking for any way to do it. And he believed the way was to beg the queen. Beg the queen to, to have mercy. But there was no mercy for Haman. Haman received no mercy. One theologian comments on Haman's begging for mercy and says, The arrogant bully became, as usually in the face of disaster, a whining coward. When Haman was able to scheme, he was strutting around. But now that his true character has been revealed, well, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Haman's life together again. It was sad. He, he was done. I mean, whatever Haman was, he, he was a life that God, that God made. Have you ever watched someone perishing? And I'm not talking about someone passing away physically. I'm talking about someone perishing spiritually and just away from God and 
and you want to do anything you can to help them. And God is using you to show doors that will open for someone and, and they just won't do it. You can picture someone's life and you can picture it changed and you can see what it will look like and, and you're in tears and your heart is torn over it because you want to see someone changed by the Lord because He doesn't fail and He changes people in amazing ways. Have you ever experienced that hurt? I mean, that's just another way of getting to know our Lord better when we hurt over someone to the extent that we hate to see them driving their lives down the drain. What One grandfather had a grandson that would come over every now and then. And he, and he brought a friend with him every now and then. And they would run around outside. And when the grandson would come in with his friend, the friend would grab his arm when they came in the house. And he would hold on to his arm for about a minute. And then he'd let go and they would do whatever. And, and got on the grandfather's nerves. Why is that boy holding my grandson's arm? And so the little boy went home and he asked his grandson. And, and his grandson well, said, well, Grandpa, it's, it's kind of like there's something wrong with his eyes adjusting. When he's out in the bright light, that's fine. But when he adjusts to a more dim light, like coming inside, his, his eyes wouldn't adjust and he couldn't see for a minute. And, and, and throughout his life, it's, it's become longer and longer that it takes for his eyes to adjust. And, and from a medical standpoint and experience in that disease, eventually it was said that that boy was going to get to a place where he was completely blind. And he did. And that grandfather sat there in his chair after hearing that story, just as miserable as he could be over that little boy's situation in blindness. You ever been miserable over someone's blindness in the world? and you want them to see the light, you want them to come to the Lord, you want them to come in the pasture where it's safe, and they just won't follow the light. That hurts. I mean, I'm, t I'm, I'm thinking about some family members I have right now even, and, and people I've known a long time that I love, and, and that, that hurts. Somebody says you don't give up on them, you just give them over to God, and and, and in one way, I don't know what that means because I'm giving them to God as, I, as I'm trying to help them. I mean, He's the only one that can do it. He's the one who can change. The Lord is the only hope all along. But they shut every door that you open for them in the Lord. Well, that, that, that's where Haman's headed right now. We're going long tonight. Give me a few more minutes. The king finishes pacing in the garden and he goes back inside and he sees Haman begging the queen for mercy. And to the king, it looks like he's trying to have his way with the queen right then and there. And that's grounds for, uh, for death right there. Anyway, long, as my dear friend in glory now, Brother Fred would say, long story short, Haman gets his head covered for the second time. The first time, he covered his own head in humiliation because of the providence of God. He didn't kill Mordecai. 
he pranced him around town and told the people to honor him. So he covered his head on the way home in humiliation. This time, he's getting his head covered for him for an execution. Well, 9 and 10, real quick, Haman goes down. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. How about that? Then was the king's wrath pacified. Proverbs 11.8 says, The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. Mordecai the righteous was delivered from this before it ever started to happen. wonder how many times we've been blessed and spared like that before it ever started to happen. And Haman takes that trouble. How fitting it is for him to be hung where Mordecai was going to be hung. And so you have Haman's wife and sons and his, his crowd. He was the ringleader of this little crowd. Got to be careful who you listen to and careful who you follow. And they see his demise right here at the end. The Jews see what happens to Haman. And they're, they, they come about with courage. They're not happy over the execution of a human being. But God's justice is real. And it is true. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And that's exactly what happened to Haman. There's a universal law of sowing and reaping. We hit our thumb with a hammer, and it's going to hurt. Whatever we do, there is going to be a return on what we do. That should make everyone run to grace. Run to the grace of God and walk with the Lord because there is a return on what we do. You know, it, and, it, and it's even so as a Christian sometimes. Sowing and reaping is serious. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm not saying that, that, that this definitely connects together, but you just think about Saul and having Christian stoned, and you just think about the Apostle Paul once he was saved, and he was stoned himself and almost left for dead. I mean, there is forgiveness, there is grace, but there's consequences. There are consequences, and, and praise the Lord for the ones that are spared from us, but there's not only a negative side to sowing and reaping, there's a positive side to sowing and reaping. No good deed will ever be forgotten before God. No good, honest word spoken will ever be wasted in glory. A cup of cold water given will not go unrewarded. There's a positivity to sowing and reaping. If Haman would have turned to the Lord, I'm not saying he wouldn't have lost his life, but I don't, but, but you can't beat turning to the Lord and making things right with him no matter what comes. He would have been accepted by the Lord. 
Maybe those gallows would have been for someone else to be hung on, and his life would have been spared. But instead of turning to God through all the warnings, through all the circumstances showing him, he continued to try to scheme in the midst of the people of God, and they hung him. And the Bible says that the king was satisfied. And, and, and I kind of have to say, too, that, that it's kind of satisfying to me, too, because he was out to hurt the people of God. I'm not saying I loved that someone was executed, but, but I believe in God's promise of justice, and I believe in God's promise to Abraham and to all of Abraham's people, and I hate to see God's people hurt, you know, and, and he was out to hurt God's people and cause problems. So, so there is some satisfaction over that. You know, it kind of just made me think about something. that We're, we're going to close, but it just kind of made me think of, when I think about what happened to Haman and what he was trying to do to God's people. You know, when God first called me to preach, I, I had, and, 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 and then called me to pastor a, a church, I, I believed, and, and he did. I, uh, you know, I had a heart for lost people, and we should always have a heart for lost people, but it seemed like it was overwhelming, and it was at, at, the, at a thought I had was, was only for lost people, that maybe I would just go share the gospel with people, and you know, am I to pastor a church, and, and you know, you sort that out with the Lord, and you talk to Him about it for years, and all of a sudden, you have a great heart for the church. Don't want to see the church hurt. And you trust God's promises to take care of the church. His precious church. It's, it's precious to me. And I don't ever want to hurt the church or God's people in any way. You know, the problems aren't over though. Haman's dead, but they still have problems. That's the way, that's the way it is for us in life, you know. When one problem's over, don't, don't, try to, don't, don't try to have the mindset, we're going to get these problems out of the way and there's going to be no more problems. We're going to have problems till we go to glory. And so Haman, he's dead. He's, a, he's not hurting God's people anymore. But, and we're going to close, but this Persian law, remember, it can't be overturned. It, it can't be abolished. And the law... The decree that was made was that all Jewish people would be killed. And that can't go away. So we still have a problem, and we're, but it's not too big for God. What, what happens? We're going to look at it next week. And, and I, think, I, I always try to be considerate of your time, and I, I thank you for your time tonight. And, and I got so excited about this, I felt like it was going to go long. And, and we did a little bit. Um, um, yes. Okay, we mentioned our high potassium levels when we got started, but it's it's very serious. So so please be please be mindful of that tonight. And um, Brother Rick Morris, would you close our Bible study in a word of prayer. Look forward to catching up next Wednesday night with this.